right, so grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is going to be right down the center of your Bible. And in fact, if you don't have a Bible, grab one from underneath the seat down the center aisle or have somebody pass one down to you. We're going to be hanging out in chapter 6 today. This is another topical sermon, uh, exegetical. We're going to be going through a passage of Scripture, a couple of passages. But uh, we will be a little bit uh, in other places as well. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 11 is where we will start. We're going to talk about work. So we're going to find these verses and uh, read them together and then uh, learn what the book of Proverbs has to say about wisdom at work. You can cheat and read on the screen along with me. Let's read together. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That's the word of the Lord. I was going to keep reading on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the gathering of your church today. We thank you for your word. I pray that today uh, it wouldn't just be us uh, recanting words like reading a dictionary, but God, we would receive this as word coming from God. Uh, able to nourish our soul, to reprove, correct, train us in righteousness, and, and make us more like the God who wrote it and intended it for us. Lord, um, there's one thing that we all do, it's work, uh, whether we get paid for it or not. And uh, this is an important topic in our lives. This is an important topic uh, in Scripture, and the Lord wants us to learn something for it, for, from it. And so uh, open us up to receive all that you would have from the wisdom of Solomon. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So if you're joining us for the first time, or if you haven't been back in a while this summer, and it's going to leak over into the fall a little bit, uh, we're going through a series in Proverbs, and our goal is to get wisdom, because wisdom is important as you navigate life. And the book of Proverbs is going to help us, and has been helping us in many regards. Uh, just a little review. I mean, what is a, what's a proverb? Um, a proverb is a short, pithy saying. Um, it's generalized truth. I like to say that a, a, a proverb is shrunken down truth. It's, it's general in the sense that if you do it, generally the things that you are obedient to are going to benefit you in your life. But it's not a promise. It's not God saying if you do this absolutely every time you do it, that you're not going uh, to fail to reap its reward. It's not going that far and saying that. Uh, I also like to say a proverb is it's meant to be memorable, portable, and recitable so that when you're having, when it, I mean, you're going through an, an incident, a situation, a circumstance in life um, that you need a little bit of wisdom, you can pull this out. Hopefully it's, it's memorable enough that you can recite it to yourself and, and therefore get the wisdom that you need uh, when you need to pull it up. Uh, and one of the areas that Solomon and the writers of Proverbs have given us a lot of thoughts on in regards to wisdom. It's this area of work. Uh, this is a huge topic, just like money from last week. It's one of those topics that uh, we would never be able to exhaust in one or two or, or five sermons, all that the Bible says, even all that Proverbs says in regards to um, God's thoughts on work. If you think about it, I mean, this is the thing that we do. I mean, we get up, we eat a little breakfast. If you eat breakfast, you might exercise a little bit. And then whatever you do, whether you get paid for it or not, you're, you're working. I'm going to explain what that work actually is in a, in a few seconds. But you're working, and you do that for the majority of your day, and then you come home, you get a little rest, and you wake back up the very next day, and you do it again. And sometimes you even do it on the weekends. Uh, that said, there, there are many ways, many different views that we can have in regards to our work. And so today, I want us to look at what the, the book of Proverbs says about that work. But first things first, let's, let's talk about this idea of, I mean, why in the world do we even work? I mean, why, why do we work? Uh, some of y'all work because your parents told you had to, right? So I, I work because I want to eat. That's, that's like my, <laughs> that's my thing. I want to eat, so I'm going to work. Um, we're Americans, most of us in this room. And so most of you are familiar with uh, this phrase, the Protestant work ethic. Um, and the mantra of the, the Protestant work ethic was simply, Work hard, work honestly. America 
was built really on, on this thing, that if you would put effort into anything that you do, that you're going to reap some kind of beneficial reward for you and for and really for the nation. And so uh, the industry of our nation was built on this ethic of, of hard work. And I think hard work, it, was, it would be fair to say, is one of the national pillars. It's, it's like a prideful thing that we boast about as Americans. Uh, it's part of our American ethos. But that said, it would be wrong to say that hard work originated with America. We're not the only country that, that boasts about its its work ethic. In fact, we're, we're a country of immigrants. I mean, the United States was built on the backs of immigrants and, and if you'll allow me to say this, and, and slaves, right? Um, we imported our work ethic, but work ethic didn't even start with those that immigrated to our country. It started way, way back, right in the beginning where God made everything. Um, concept of work ethic goes all the way back to Genesis, uh, the book of beginnings. If you think about it, in, in Genesis, God presents himself as a God who works. From the very first day, or the day that he told us about, he created a world in six days and rested from his work on the seventh day. And that really is the pattern that God has set up for us, uh, part of his creation, uh, to exist in his life. That we're supposed to work, and then we were supposed to have times in our life when we can rest. So when God created man, he made us in his image and in his likeness. We share many of his attributes. Uh, we are both like and unlike God. We are particularly like him in that we have emotion and intellect. We can communicate. But one special way that God made us like him is that we share this, this thing called work. We are, God created us to work. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Here's what the, the word says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and over the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. The word work does not appear in there, but look at verse 28. When God says, be fruitful and multiply, subdue, have dominion over, those are action-oriented terms and uh, you know, associated with those terms is an idea that we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to, to work. And so the biblical work ethic was established when God told Adam and his wife Eve to subdue the earth. And then later in Genesis 2.15, God tells Adam to actually tend the garden and to work it. I mean, actually using the word work. And so this is all before Adam and Eve did what God said not to do. This is before the, the curse fell on the earth because of their disobedience. And so we should, um, we take from this that work is not a bad thing. Work is not a part of the curse, nor is it a product of sin. Rather, work was meant to be a blessing um, from God to us. It's that thing that he gave us to do while we exist on the earth. Um, as we continue in the story of redemption, we trace the story of, of man uh, on the earth. Genesis 3, the, the unthinkable happens. Adam and Eve, uh, they eat of the knowledge of the tree uh, of good and evil, the thing God set for them not to do. And, and what does God do? God enacts a curse on the earth uh, as sin ensues, uh, not just in people, but in all the land. God curses the, the serpent. He curses the woman. He curses uh, really all of creation, but in, in the sense he curses the man by cursing the earth. Look at these, look at these verses, verses uh, ch uh, chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 18 and 19. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, and for, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I mean, what does that sound like? It sounds like even like getting something to eat is going to be hard work. Now, that was a, that's a, a result of the curse. God cursed the ground so that everything that man would do, from trying to get a, a, a sweet potato out of the ground just to eat it to the economics of life itself, would be difficult for us, and it would make us work. But again, we can't detract this resulting curse from that came from disobedience from God's original purpose. Work was supposed to be a blessing, not part of the curse, rather God just giving us that thing that we are 
supposed to do. Um, this, in essence, is the heart of the biblical work ethic, that work is a calling for all men. I'm going to qualify that in a minute, but think about that. Work is a calling. We are called to work. And so the work ethic established in Genesis is also a major emphasis in all of Proverbs. And here's a summary of what Proverbs says about work. A wise person is someone that works hard for the glory of God. A wise person is someone that works hard for the glory of God. And so you're not necessarily working for a paycheck. You're not necessarily working to get rich. You're not necessarily working for any other ulterior purpose, uh, self-centered motive, or even to feed your family. You're working that you might bring glory to God. That's what God intended for us in our work. And when we embody a biblical work ethic, um, we should see work as a calling, as a calling from God, as part of our core purpose. All right, so let me explain um, work as a calling. Um, there's some of you in the room that if I would ask you, it's like, well, I mean, I don't, I don't see my work as a calling. I don't even like what I do. Like, I just do it because I, I got to. I got to exist. I got to live somewhere. I got to put some clothes on my back. I got to eat. And I understand that. Um, and then there's some of you that just feel very um, attached to what you do, so much so that you would say, God made me for this very thing that I'm doing. And for you, it feels like a calling that you were summoned to do it, and you're, you're living a dream because every day you get to wake up with passion and go do that thing that, that God um, has prepared you perhaps all of your life to do. And I would tell you both of those are calling. It's a calling in the sense that in Genesis 1 and 2, God tells us we're supposed to work. And so God is calling you to this thing of fulfilling your purpose on the earth by not being restless or listless or lazy and working, doing something to con uh, uh, contribute to um, the citizenry of the world. And then I think the, the pinnacle is is if you can tap into that thing that God has, that makes your heart tick. Okay, so both of those are calling. But here's a, here's a rudimentary definition of work. Uh, at its simplest level, work is any set of tasks to be performed in pursuit of a particular task. Any set of tasks to be performed in pursuit of a particular goal. And what this should say to you is all of us are working. All of us, by this definition, all of us do some kinds of work. Um, note what you don't see there. You don't see any kind of monetary um, uh, mention. It's, it's not talking about getting paid. Um, we, I know I was raised like this. Perhaps you were raised like this too. You're raised to think that work is that thing that you do where I'm going to go uh, get cash in exchange for my labor. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to sweat a little bit. I'm going to think a little bit. I'm going to exert some energy, and somebody's going to pay me for what I've done. And obviously there are, are many cases where a laborer, somebody that does something for someone, is going to get paid. Uh, executives, pastors like me, professional athletes, um, service workers, missionaries, musicians, bloggers, retirees, entrepreneurs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I didn't name some of the ones that y'all are like. I mean, y'all, we get paid for what we do. And, and it's right that we would um, get trained and have a skill and eventually come into uh, being um, pay for what we do, right? Think about all the people that do some pretty cool stuff in the world and don't get paid. Uh, I've just spent two weeks binging on the Olympics. Perhaps you've been watching a little bit of it too. And it's a misnomer about the Olympics. You know, for a, a brief moment, there's these great people who spend great portions of their life training their body to do things that none of us can do and we think they're heroes, and they, they, are, they are in their own right. But you know what? Only like 4 to 5% of those get national sponsorships and earn a lot of money. So what do the rest of them do? They take their medal or no medal. They go back, and they become teachers, and they go to school, and they figure out something else to do after they've worked all their lives to do that, whatever they did on TV in front of us. Not just that, but you got stay-at-home moms and dads. you got college students and graduates and sometimes like artists, musicians who will sell themselves out in an internship. Like, so can I come work for you and not get paid so that I can, um, in turn, get the experience saying I work for someone to learn a trade to do that? There's all kinds of us that work hard but don't get uh, paid for it. Uh, but my point, almost regardless of anyone's phase of life, everyone works. 
Here's what the Bible says. There are two extremes in terms of our attitude in regards to work. And all of us tend to one of these attitudes. At one extreme, we can think that work is a burden. It, uh, we can be resentful of it. We can whine. We can shirk. We can be unappreciative. We can be lazy about our work. And the Bible calls that person, uh, that view, uh, a sluggard. We're going to talk about that in a second. And a slugger is no, nothing but somebody that's lazy. Some of y'all are lazy. <laughs> the slugger sees work as nothing more than a necessary inconvenience en route to the true goal of life. What do you think the slugger's true goal in life? It's not necessarily to do nothing, but it's definitely not to work. At the other extreme, we can worship our work. And there's a few more of you that are like this. And so a person that worships their work, uh, they find at the very core of who they are, their identity in, what do you do? Think about coming to D.C. What are the things you ask when you, when you meet somebody for the first time? Where do you live? You know, where do you live around here? And then he's like, well, what do you do? All right, I did that like three times this morning for people that I had, hadn't met this morning. And so when we adopt this view, we become what the Bible calls an idolater. That means our work becomes our God and we're serving it as if we worship it. Uh, a common, uh, common word that we use in today's language would be workaholic. And there's some of you in here that I would say are workaholics. And so here's it. This is what the Bible says. Left to ourselves, we'll quickly gravitate to one of these extremes. I got the sluggard over here. I got the workaholic over here. And what Proverbs wants to do is, is slice it down the middle and give us God's perspective, which is a balanced perspective, uh, a biblical perspective that God would give us on work. And here it is, that work is neither a drudgery nor an idol. God intends for work to be a calling in which we find satisfaction that we have contributed um, to society, to uh, humankind in a way that firstly might and even a little bit, bring us personal satisfaction, but more importantly, and this is more important than just you being happy and about what you do, that it brings glory to God. That's God's goal for you and your work. Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whether, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so this is pretty clear from Paul. Paul is saying there's some mundane things that we do, like eating and drinking, but even in that, we, can, we have opportunities to bring glory to God. And so that in a nutshell, I took too long to do that, but that's, that's a theology of work. That's what the Bible says that you should, you, should, you should be thinking toward in regards to work. And that brings us to the book of Proverbs. And so what Proverbs wants to do is teach us a, a biblical, spiritual approach as Christians to our lifelong role of people that work. Okay, that's all that Proverbs wants to do. What's the wisdom of how we should be thinking about how we should work. And then when we turn to Proverbs 6, the first thing that Solomon says is consider the ant. He's like, what? He says, consider the ant. Verse 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, any officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Um, this is probably the, I, I came to this passage because it's one of the most instructive passages in Proverbs about work. Very coherent theme, and I think it tells us a lot about um, you know, what we're supposed to be doing on the earth in regards to our labor. Um, in context, um, this is a part of the first nine chapters where Solomon is really giving us a, a, a consistent argument. He's talking to his sons, and he's sitting down with them as a sage who's experienced a lot of life, made some, some, some mistakes, and had some successes, He's got divine wisdom from God, and he's in, he's in this intimate setting trying to help his boys figure out the way of life. We looked at this passage three weeks ago as we talked about wisdom and sexuality. Um, and in context, he's talking to his boys this time about laziness, okay, about them not being lazy. And so uh, he provides his sons with both a positive uh, example to emulate and a negative example to avoid. And for the positive example, he says, consider the ant. That's a put down. I don't know if y'all gather that. I mean, you got ants around your house, right? You got ants in your house, outside of your house. They're, they're everywhere. Um, 
Ants are not the animals, I, the insects I don't like. I mean, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, all right, so Lord, what about the gnat? You know, and the mosquito, that blood-sucking thing that just, that like, it just, who, who needs a mosquito? I will ask him about snakes because those are, those are just creepy and a few other things. But, I mean, you can actually see um, the industrial nature of an ant, can't you? Because they're everywhere in your yard. In, I mean, they're, they, if they find your food, they're going to, like, st- stack up in line, marching, get your food, bought off a little bitty chunk, like minuscule piece of your food, and take it away and march in line away from, away from where the food is to get it. And so Solomon says, um, look at the ant. And this is a put down because here's the pinnacle of God's creation that Solomon's talking to. And he's told to gain instruction from a mindless, soulless insect. And so what does the ant teach us about a biblical work ethic? Uh, I I think it's it's pretty clear. The ant doesn't need to be persuaded. He doesn't need to be browbeaten. He doesn't need to be forced to work. Look particularly at verse 7 and 8. Without having any chief officer or ruler, the ant prepares her bread in summer and prepares her food in harvest. I mean, the ant is always working, working ahead of time to do that thing that's required to keep her, keep herself and her colony sustained. And I think that's so anti-us, isn't it? Unlike us, the ant doesn't need some form of accountability to make it work faithfully. The ant doesn't need coaching. The ant doesn't need pep talks. The ant doesn't need to be motivated uh, like bringing in a motivational speaker. The ant doesn't need me to like extract a, uh, a page of the Bible and, and give it uh, a chapter on biblical work ethic. Why? Because it's innate to the ant to be industrious, to work hard, simply because that's what the ant was created to do. And that's Solomon's point. He says, consider the ant. Why? Because that's his point for us. Just like the ant, humanity was created to work. Think back to Genesis 1 and 2. He created us to work. Yet so often we, we need a strict structure around us to, to get us, to, to incentivize us, to impose on us uh, these boundaries and barriers in our lives from the outside just to make us do the things that we're supposed to do that we're getting paid to do. We're not as diligent as we should be uh, because of so many other things that surround us and that get us off of our our game. And so this proverb calls us to work as we were intended to. And what's that intent? It's for the glory of God. That we would fulfill our purpose on the earth. Not because somebody's watching us, because God is superintending over us, which he is, but just because we're supposed to work, because that, that's what God put in us to do. Paul says in Colossians 3, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Uh, Paul here in this text here is actually talking to, to bond servants, to people who were enslaved um, and, and were forced to work. And he's like, you, you got to come up with this different mentality, this different attitude about why you're here on the earth. And one of these things that we're here on the earth is to bring glory to God. And so if we approach our work with the mindset that we're working for the Lord, then we will be more likely to adapt a biblical work ethic so that like the ant, we're laboring industriously um, for God in his world. All right, so Solomon says, consider the ant, but then he says, consider the sluggard. This is going to hurt some of y'all. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So Solomon is doing uh, pretty much two things here in this section of our text. First, he unpacks the nature of a sluggard. Um, Again, a sluggard is just somebody that's lazy, particularly verse 10 and 11. And here's, here's the sluggard's nature. If you look at these verses, there's three words that, that, that pop out. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? How long will you arrive from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I mean, that's the nature of a, of a sluggard, someone that's lazy. Sleep, slumber, and rest. And it's not that those things are wrong. Obviously, it's not bad. I mean, we need them. Think about it. Part of the humility of humanity is that we can't go very long without needing to rest. That's why God said, work six days, rest, rest one. Um, 
I've got some just funny tales from ranger school. Um, I was about two phases in, and one of my eternal memories from ranger school will be in a Florida phase where we're in a patrol base, just like in a wooded area. We're you know, on our knees on the ground. Actually, I was laying down in the prone, like laying down on the ground with my weapon pointed out. And uh, I saw this guy behind me get up with all his gear, and he walked to this tree. I told you I was four, and he like simulates putting money into the tree like he's getting uh, a drink out of, the, out of the tree. That's what lack of sleep will do to your body. And uh, I remember my own hallucinations. I mean, you're, in ranger school, they tell you you need at least two hours of sleep a night to function. You need more. Let me just tell you. <laughs> All right. So, so my hallucination was, I mean, I, uh, I, I think it was me. It may have been somebody else. No, so don't, 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 like, seal me into this. One of us saw a giant cupcake and, like, started eating it. Like a giant, I mean, who, who hallucinates that kind of stuff? And so when we were on patrol, it was, it was the mountains. This was cold. It was cold. So I put the flap of my, my patrol cap over my head. And we, this was like mountainous terrain, the Tennessee Valley Divide. And it was nothing but woods and hills. And I used to see, in the hallucination of my mind, because I wasn't getting enough sleep, it would be like I'm walking on flat ground. It was lush green. There was houses everywhere. And I'm hearing classical music. This is before Jonathan was even born, right? I'm not even married at this point. So there's no classical music in my life. This is, what, this, is what, this is what lack of rest and sleep will do to you. And, and Solomon is saying, uh, if, you, if you, these are good for you, your body needs it, but if you get too much of it, what's it going to lead to? It's going to lead to the hardness of poverty. Um, this is an interesting topic to talk about. We can't talk about it as much as I want to. Several weeks from now, we're going to talk about what the Proverbs says about our role to the poor and, and those who are in, in poverty uh, and the wisdom of that. But um, let me just, it's hard to be poor in our nation and go hungry. You know that? We, we live in such a prosperous nation that even if you are homeless without anything, you don't have to go without shelter, without clothes, and without food. We support a ministry in D.C. called Central Union Mission, where some of you have actually gone up there and helped us clean up and wash and fix beds. And then we served dinner, an elaborate dinner, to uh, the family members, as they call them, who come there and avail themselves because they have nothing. And so these young men and women um, who have had a bad lot in life uh, come, they stay overnight, they get a good meal, they're kicked out during the day to go do whatever they do, and they are welcomed back at night. And so uh, isn't it interesting that in the day that we live in, I mean, I don't know if what Solomon's saying is true anymore, that laziness leads to poverty. But here's, what, here's how Paul translates this. So fast forward a couple, uh, 600 centuries from when Proverbs was written. Solomon says this. All right, so in any small element of people, there's going to be some lazy ones among you. There's, I mean, you might not be doing nothing, but you, there's some lazy ones among you. And he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. What he's saying is, even if there are some unworthy poor among you being you're negligent or you're just lazy and that's why you're poor, not because you're, you, know, you can't work, he's saying it would be wrong for sluggers in the church to get a free ride. And I, I mean, that's just right. It's harsh, but that's right. So here's my point. I got off track. Refusal to embrace a diligent work ethic is sinful because it violates God's primary call to humanity. What's that? We are to mirror the God who work, especially so if you're a Christian, because when you work, you're just not working to feed yourself or put food on the table or, or for self-centeredness, you're working to the glory of God because that's who God made you. So Solomon says, consider the ant. He says, consider the sluggard. But his point is that you would consider yourself. That's what he's trying to get you to do. He says all this so that you would simply think about who you are and the things that you're doing. He's challenging us to consider ourselves because we, 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 we tend to two extremes, the, the extreme of the sluggard and the extreme of workaholism. And of course, Scripture speaks to both of these. Flip to your right to Proverbs 26, and we're going to focus in on what it says about the sluggard and extract four traits that Solomon uh, warns us away from. Proverbs 26, I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, 
There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard bears his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So here's, here's what Solomon, I mean, he's condemning us with, with these words. He, uh, Proverbs in general, the Bible as a whole, has no sympathy on those who are lazy. Why? Because it's sinful. It goes against God's calling to you as a part of, a part of humanity. And so Solomon says, the, as you consider yourself, um, there's a lure of laziness for all of us that we have to guard ourselves against. Um, and so what he says here in these four verses is not a very picture. And he gives us four traits of a sluggard. And the first one is in verse 13. i got to read verse 13. The slugger says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. And this is, of course, ludicrous. I mean, how many of you have woken up from your home, looked outside the window to check to see what kind of day it is, and seen a lion outside? I mean, you know, we see some crazy stuff outside our house every once in a while, right? Um, but, I mean, how many, any of y'all in here seen a lion outside? I mean, I'm curious. Lions. Right? It doesn't happen. And so here's what verse 13 is saying. The sluggard lies and make excuses. And we do that to get out of work. Have you ever lied to get out of work? Don't answer. And so this might be a person that's not even lazy. He just doesn't want to, he just doesn't want to do what he's supposed to do. And so he's like, yo, there's a lion outside. I can't go. I got, I'm stuck in the house. And so this kind of person would say, yesterday was too hot to work. Today is too cold to work. So I'm just going to stay inside and lay in bed. And again, he probably has the excuse of, I'm not my best in the morning. I'm just going to like start my day at 5 o'clock when I'm like good and warmed up so that I, you know, I can last for the couple of hours before dinner time. And of course, these are lies that we tell, misrepresenting the true reality that we're just trying to get out of an unpleasant task. Verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Uh, this says a sluggard takes no initiative. This is, uh, this is supposed to be humorous. Solomon is, I mean, he's talking to his boys. And so um, he, he's, you know, he's trying to be a little funny. Uh, can you imagine how many times a, a door on its hinge, don't think about your front door because that not, might not be enough. Think about how many times you and your kids go in and out of your refrigerator. It's, it's, it's good that our refrigerators are heavy because, I mean, that thing would be like slinging all across your house as many times as we open the door. Uh, our kids, they wake up in the morning. Our, our kids are fortunately there, old enough to get their own breakfast. Uh, but they come home from school. What's the first thing they do? They, 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 they throw their books down anywhere they can. And then they go to the refrigerator. And it's like, all right, it's the same stuff there that you saw in the morning. And then a couple hours later, they go to the refrigerator. I mean, this is what we do. The refrigerator, we live by our refrigerator. And so Solomon, this is the image he's giving us. It's, it's, the slugger is like someone that is opening a door, and it's, and it's really doing nothing but going back and forth on its hinge. And so the image is depicting someone that has, they move in a limited range. They never make any progress. You see that? It's the same simple, unproductive activities repeated over and over and over again. They're doing something easy, perhaps even something comfortable. There's no challenge, no growth, no learning, no real progress in, this, in their life. And this kind of a sluggard does actually perform some work, but he, ne he or she never presses forward into something better, more challenging, and more rewarding. Verse 15 tells us the sluggard does not finish his work. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in this dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. This is another ridiculous example. Um, I mean, you've seen someone that's like too, too tired, say like they ran a marathon. That's the only thing I can think of. Or somebody too drunk, you know you've seen this. Somebody too drunk to like even get themselves a, a glass of water that they can't even move. I mean, you gotta help them out. You, you need some water, you need some coffee. Not that coffee helps drunkenness. Not that I would know. <laughs> and so the sluggard doesn't finish his work. Uh, even when the sluggard is hungry, he's so lazy that he can't manage to lift his hand to his mouth. It's, that's just insane, right? But here again is a, a ridiculous example employed to make a point. The sluggard consistently fails to complete his task. And this is one that we need to slow down and ask ourselves, I mean, could this be us? 
I mean, perhaps could this one be one that we would acknowledge? I mean, man, that, that, that's like me. Um, how, do, how do we engage this behavior? Let me tell you how I, I engage in this kind of behavior. Um, I allow sinful distractions, sometimes not even sinful, just distractions to get in the way of my work. Think of how many times you check your email or you check a text or those crazy pop, you know, like those notifications on your iPhone. I got to a point, I just shut off. If you Facebook me, I'm not going to get it because I, I came to a point I realized if I respond to every Facebook notification and Twitter notification and Instagram notification and email and, you know, all that stuff, I never get work done. And so if you're doing that, you're not sinning, but it is a distraction to your life. Here's another thing we do. We allow procrastination to seep into our work habits, delaying difficult or unpleasant tasks for as long as possible. Any of y'all ever done that at work? It's like, I don't want to do this. And so I'm going to procrastinate as long as I can. Oh, thank God the end of the day is here. I can put that off to tomorrow. We leave work undone because we know it will eventually be reassigned to others. Reassigned to others. I mean, we do that, don't we? Sometimes we simply give up on a task when it becomes too challenging. I think we can relate to some of those. Verse 16, the sluggard is proud. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Um, the root of every sin is self-centeredness and pride. And so what this is saying is the root, uh, the root sin of the, of the sluggard is, is his pride. And this is another one of those extreme examples. It's, it's outrageous. Solomon is saying you have seven reputable men who provide a sensible judgment and the slugger, because he knows it all, um, decides that they're buffoons and fools and they don't know enough. And so he's going to go with his own, um, own intellect uh, and, his, and in his own pride, he's going to decide what he wants to do regardless of what those seven reputable men have said. And think about how many times you might do that with your boss, if you're a kid, with your parent, or your teacher, or any other authority figure. And the Bible's perspective on this is, is when you dishonor and disrespect a God-given authority, you have done that to God himself, because God is the one that puts those people in place. And so Solomon says, consider the ant. He says, consider the sluggard. He says, consider yourself in regards to um, how there are... Um, the, the lure of laziness for all of us. But then he says, consider yourself in the trap of the workaholic. All right, so I've been beating up on the sluggards, but here's the deal. I know y'all. Y'all are, you know, military-minded, government-employed, workaholic kind of people. And so open your ears. I mean, if you've been, if you like close me off of this point, this is where you need to start listening because I'm getting ready to talk about you. Okay? And so... Consider yourself the trap of the workaholic. And of course, this is the opposite extreme. And so a, a God-glorifying approach to work does not have a continual obsession with productivity, with like producing something and, and getting stuff right. Why? Because you have, there should be more to your life than just work. Your parents and your citizens of the United States and your church members and um, you got to go to the gym. I mean, you got to, you know, you got to participate in life and family and all that stuff. And God wants you to do more than just obsess over your work that might pay you a great salary. God's call to us is to have the right attitude, a balanced attitude toward all the roles that we play and to prioritize those rightly. And so the this is a call. OK. And so in regards to Considering ourselves and the, the, the potential trap of being a workaholic, God is calling us to be reminded about, um, you know, the calling that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. And what is that call? It's a call to be balanced. Exodus 20, 9 through 11. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, we did a sermon series two months ago uh, in the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and you can hear me elaborate on this particular uh, moral command in that sermon series. But this is really nothing other than the pattern by which God has set his 
his world aright, and, and he set us in the middle of it, that we would work, but we would also rest. Here's the thing about the, 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 the world that we live in. It's 24-7. There are some things in our lives that never shut off. You can actually go get groceries and milk and get on the Internet and pay bills almost any time of the day or night. And it didn't used to be that way. It's just technology is, is taking us this way and also this, this trap of workaholism. But here's the thing that you need to be reminded of, especially if you're a workaholic. God did not intend for you to live like that. He didn't intend for you or I to always be on 24-7. And I'm, you know, how do I come up with this? Because I'm speaking to myself. Your pastor's a workaholic. Okay? And, and the tendency is, especially in D.C., is to applaud people like me who don't know how to shut off. But you're like me, and I'm telling you, you got to shut off. Paul is, um, I mean, uh, the, the, the moral command is reminding us that at the level of the individual, there has to be rest. There has to be a chosen, intentional respite from productive labor. Here's another call, a call to reject idolatry. Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I've used this verse the last three sermons, and um, like I've said before, there's a whole lot here, so we shouldn't just pay particular attention to what it says at the beginning of the verse, talking about sexual immorality and, and sexual passions. When, when, um, when we put more emphasis on the, the former part without realizing what he's saying in the latter part, we miss all that, that he's saying. He's not minimizing the things at the end. Lust and evil desires can have as much to do with material greed as to do with sexual immorality. So Paul is telling us that um, unbridled lust in particular and inordinate affections of any and all kinds are, in, are inconsistent with the Christian calling. Thirdly, it's a call to trust. Call to trust. Show me the scripture verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is, uh, this is a psalm, but it's a wisdom psalm, and it's penned by the hand of Solomon himself. And so it fits right into this, this wisdom genre. And so Solomon asked the question, or at least this is the question we should get out of this, when does our work become vain? And Solomon gives us the answer. He says, when you don't anchor it in the Lord, when you rest control of your life and all that you do from God and bring it back into your own control, bring it back into your own hands, then what you're essentially saying is, God, I don't trust you to run my life. I'll control it myself, and I'll, I'll do a better job than, than you have done. And Solomon reorients us, and he tells us, you know, it, it's the Lord who builds your house. And so it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you get ahead of the Lord, you're working in vain. Um, I alluded to this already, but I mean, here's, here's the lot of life for most of us as Christians, especially Christians who live in D.C., is that um, Exodus 20 would call workaholism a sin, that if we would work six days and not take God's moral command to rest as his word to us, for us, um, and to be obedient to that, then, then we have sinned. A sin that, you know, was, was, you could die for it, for just being disobedient to God. And in D.C., we take those kind, of, uh, those kind of thoughts and, I mean, we applaud it. We applaud the person that comes to D.C., gets a good job, paid by the government, working hard, big house, living large, and, and you're, I mean, you're, you're in it to win it. Because that's the culture up here. But that's not necessarily right. Just because it gets you a lot of money, because you're busy, because you're scratching your itch of, of, of doing the thing that you like doesn't mean it's completely right. And so here we are. Almost done. The sin of the slugger, serious. But it's no more serious than the sin of the workaholic. In fact, here's the, here's the thing, folks. These are the same sin. Can you believe it? The, the, the sin of the slugger and the sin of the workaholic, they're both doing the very same thing. The, the man or woman who builds their lives around work is every bit as proud and self-centered as the sluggard. 
And at both of these extremes, we worship an idol called doing it my way. And that's the problem. You're, you're more willing to do things your way than you are willing to do it God's way, as if God's ways did not work. And so the Bible spends a lot more time, of course, talking about the sluggard than it does workaholism, because uh, workaholism really is just being a variety of sluggard by, by, another, by other means. Both are interested in avoiding responsibility that don't interest you. So when you're a, a, a workaholic or a sluggard, you just avoid all those things that you don't want to do. So what's the alternative? It's imitating the God who works. That's what the Proverbs is telling us to do. Imitate the God who works. Ecclesiastes 2.24, I'll, I'll finish with this. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the Lord. And Solomon says, hey, you're supposed to work, and it's an added benefit when you get not only paid for it, but there's enjoyment in it, but you're also supposed, supposed to work. So, so work can't consume your entire life. And I think when we look at what the Bible says in regards to who we are, who he's made us, and um, the story that God is telling through us, um, we're supposed to keep in, uh, in, in front of us all the time, we serve a God who works. Working is good. It's, it's who he created you to be. He actually did create you to work. God in creation worked from the first instant of created time, and he's guided and directed each molecule and moment. Hebrews 1.3, God upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Bible attributes that particular work to Jesus. Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How do you hold something together without working a little bit? And Jesus has been working uh, as the creator of the universe to hold things together uh, for eternity. Jesus worked with extreme and sacrificial diligence during his days on earth. Paul says in Romans 8.34, he is even now seated at, at God's right hand, interceding. What do you do when you intercede? You're working, not for yourself, but for someone else. Jesus is interceding for us. Uh, the Olympics concludes today. Y'all watching the Olympics at all? I mean, I get into it. I mean, it's like it comes around, you know, summer, winter, every two years. And so it's just, it's neat to me to see the countries come together, to see the, the, the activity of it all, and to see these incredible athletes putting who they are on display. And so I'm going to finish with, uh, with an Olympic story. The 1981 movie, Chariots of Fire, tells the story of 1924 Olympic gold medalist Eric Liddell. Um, he was a runner. Um, in one scene, he's having a conversation with his sister, Jeannie. Um, see, there's something special about this Eric Liddell. He's not just a runner. He's, he's called to be a missionary. And so in this discussion, um, Jeannie is putting him down because she thinks he's wasting his time and his life by putting all this training into um, trying to go to the Olympics when he should be just be preparing himself to go and be a missionary in, in China. And so they go back and forth, and Eric says this to her, Jeannie, you've got to understand, I believe that God has made me for a purpose. He's made me for China. I know I'm called to that. But then he also says, but God also made me fast. And, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. I mean, that's just some cool words. Um, Eric Lydell found great pleasure in running because it was the work that God had gifted him to do. And so here, here's my encouragement for all of us as we, con as we consider the wisdom of work. I think the same thing can be said of all of us who, who he God's command, just because we're part of the creation, to work. Some of you are like really don't like your jobs. There's some of you that stay at home that don't like what you do. There's some of you that go out into the work field and you get paid a lot of money and you don't like what you do. And I understand that, but we're supposed to work for a number of reasons. And it, uh, it's just a benefit if you are one of those that actually are gifted to do something and you love it. It brings you passion when you labor towards it. But here's the thing that God wants us to see. Accountants, if you're an accountant, can feel God's pleasure when the accounts balance. Lawyers can feel God's pleasure when justice is done. Moms and dads can feel God's pleasure when their children are raised to fear the Lord. Doctors and nurses can feel God's pleasure when, when they heal and alleviate suffering. Come help my back. Teachers can feel God's pleasure when their students learn a given subject. Those of you in the military and working for the government, you can feel God's pleasure when you, you know that you're serving selflessly um, to bring freedom to those 
who, who can't do what you do. And I'll conclude with this. Uh, as Christians, work is not merely a task or job. It's a gift from God. It's, it's a calling. We're called to do it because we're part of humanity. It's a special calling if you, if you enjoy what you do. And so when we work, we have the opportunity to imitate God our Father, who's the master worker. But more importantly, not more importantly, just as well, when we work, we have the opportunity to imitate Jesus. And that's important because he's still working for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you created us to be people who work. Uh, can you imagine a world where no one did anything? We just, I mean, we're like the, the, the sluggard who sees, who, who looks out the window and sees a lion and chooses just to, to lay there and say, oh, I can't go out there. Let me just stay here for another day. Lord, you haven't created us for that. Um, some of us in this room uh, do have some aspects of us uh, that we need to come in line with in regards to we're a little lazy. There are some things that we could be doing, some things that we know that you've particularly told us to do, uh, just some things that we know we're supposed to do, and we've put them off for many reasons. So God, I pray that you would press on us by your word and, uh, and convict us where necessary and that you would work the sluggardness, the sluggardness out of us. Uh, half this room tend toward our workaholism, though. And God, I pray that you would bring balance to our lives. Help us uh, to, to see that our calling is not just to obsess over productivity, but that we would be balanced, that we would work and rest, that we would, uh, that we would put as much emphasis on all those other roles that you've given us and that we would work more importantly to the glory of God. That, that, that's our purpose here on earth, that we would glorify you in anything that we do, even in the mundane. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.